Hello, this is Chase McKinney. Please be advised that the messages discussed in this podcast are of a mental health nature. While I am a counselor, I am not your counselor. This podcast is for educational purposes and should not replace professional services rendered to you by a mental health professional. If you feel you're in need of one, please seek one out. What is up, everyone? It has been a long time, or maybe a substantial amount of time, uh, that we've been apart, and I have sincerely missed you guys, so uh, thank you for tuning in and checking out this newest episode of Reframed Podcast. You guys are what makes this show possible. Thank you for your listening ears and being receptive to these ideas, these thoughts, these ramblings that I have uh, as it relates to pop culture, media, and mental health topics, themes, and issues. Now, before we dive in to today's content, um, just want to touch base um, with what's been going on. Um, Like I said, it's been a while. Um, Originally, I had uh, planned to do a couple more holiday episodes, and that just didn't happen. Um, <laughs> life got a little cray-cray in December, and anyway, here we are. So I'm back. I haven't given up on you guys. Um, I'm really excited to be creating some content again. Um, brand new year. Here we are, 2019, start of a brand new year, and how exciting is that, that uh, we have um, a new year, to um, have new experiences, meet new people, and make new declarations uh, for our life, for our family, for our work, um, for just our relationships in general. And uh, anyway, uh, so what's been going on with me uh, these last handful of weeks or so since we last got to uh, hear each other? Well, um uh, since the last recording, since the last episode, a lot's been going on um, between wrapping up the year with, uh, you know, seeing, you know, folks with work um, and also finishing up school studies uh, for my first semester at Regent. Um, I've really gotten into uh, wood burning. Now, I started doing wood burning, oh gosh, I guess almost four years ago. First time I, I uh, really took a stab at it was uh, making a gift for my wife for Valentine's Day about four years ago. And um, anyway, I, I had recently uh, started like cleaning up um, our our uh, guest room, I guess, which is what we call the room of requirement. So any Harry Potter fans out there, that is what we call our spare room. So if you ever have a chance to stay with us, as long as you're friends and not too weird, then again, we have weird friends, so it's okay. Um, anyways, if you're ever over here um, hanging out, um, our guest room is called the Room of Requirement because that's where we do crafts, and that's also you know an area just to hang out. It's it turn it's a room that becomes whatever we need it to become, just like in um, Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix whenever it's introduced. Um, so, um, anyways, prior to that, I was working in my home office my, where I also record this stuff. And um, I'd been doing wood burning in here, and the guest room had just been um, a total mess. And um, anyways, recently I decided to get it all cleaned up, tidied up, organized, 
So now we are, our room of requirement is fully functional as data from Star Trek The Next Generation would state. Um, hope you enjoyed that reference there for a second. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of wood burning, um, making gifts for Christmas for folks. I made um, a gift for my you know, 14, 15 month old daughter now uh, for Christmas and it's her name in different languages and it's all wood burned and stained and everything. I made um, another little wood burning for my wife. It's a, um, a scripture that means something to her. So, uh, so that's that. Um, and I've also done a few other gifts for other folks as well. And it has been so incredibly uh, therapeutic, so incredibly um, calming, and just I've really enjoyed doing it. So apart from doing uh, this show and this podcast, uh, I think I'm really going to be doing more wood burning too. Just it feels really good to do. Um, and I feel like I get better whenever I do it. So maybe I'll post some pictures of some of the wood burning that I've done. Uh, some of them I cannot post because they are secret projects and I don't want anyone to uh, unknowingly stumble across it. So I'll just post a few um, in our Facebook group and uh, go from there. Um, I'm not going to belabor the point with, you know, what's been going on, but, um, you know, between work, school, um, time with family, uh, it's just been very busy. So, um, apart from the wood burning and all the other stuff, um, I have some, some friends from another podcast that will be coming down to Texas, um, that I'll be meeting in person for the first time ever. So if, you are into um, um, either you know Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, or C.S. Lewis. I would highly recommend that you check out their podcast. Um, in fact, they were part of the inspiration that got me into podcasting. So um, shout out to um, Ezra Kirk and Lane Smith with um, Up Talking Tolkien and um, their other show that they're about to launch further up, which is Looking for Lewis. Um, Up Talking Tolkien. Um, they're basically a book club that uh, is taking a deep dive into all things Tolkien. And right now they're um, working their way through Lord of the Rings. And I've been listening faithfully for almost a year now, um, close to it. I think I started listening around uh, March or April when my friend uh, Rachel had told me about it. And um, anyways, it's, it's fantastic. The community is awesome. And I am so blessed to um, be able to be part of the book club and um, and listen to their their shenanigans. So, um, like I said, they'll be coming down here in just a few weeks for um, a little party of sorts that I'm kind of organizing. So, if you are in the Dallas Fort Worth area and you're or you just want to drive to Dallas Fort Worth and you can make it, the weekend of Mar uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, um, we'll be having a little. Um, what we're calling a Rohirrim gathering because we consider Texas and other Southern states to be the Rohan of America, just like they're um, where they're located in Ohio. Um, they consider themselves to be the Shire of America. So it's going to be really cool. Um, and not to, you know, get too sidetracked, but their other show um, further up looking for Lewis is going to be launching here pretty soon. So check Podbean. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and check them out. Give them a like and a follow, subscribe to the show and um, 
get involved. I mean, they are great guys, great hosts, and I can't thank them enough for, you know, like I said, being the inspiration with um, really doing this podcast. So thank you guys. Thank you, Ez. Thank you, Lane, from the bottom of my heart um, for just being awesome dudes. And I cannot wait to uh, see you and meet you in person and have some fun together. So keep up the great work. And uh, anyway, that's about it for, um, you know, what's been going on with this whole um, weekly hunt type of thing. It hasn't really been a week or whatever, but um, anyway, here we go. Um, We're going to go ahead and transition to some Channel 49 news. And I think that this this article from... um, Psychology Today is very timely, in um, especially with the material that we're going to be talking about today on the show. And um, this article was posted, uh, was published uh, January 2nd of this year, January 2nd, 2019. So it's a fairly new article that was published, um, and it's called, Why is Checking In So Important? Daily Connection counteracts the cultural forces pushing couples apart. Um, so I'm going to read bits and pieces of this uh, for you to um, you know, dig into and stuff like that. But uh, what is it that extraordinarily happy couples are doing? One of the important things is checking in. Checking in um, is taking a brief break from the many competing urgencies of our day to first check inside to see what we are experiencing And then use that brief break to reveal to our partner what we are experiencing. Then last but not least, we listen to their experiences with caring attention. Uh, These daily check-ins allow for a feeling of connection that sustains the couple's bond. So um, more or less, it's, you know, it's hearing about the day. Um, It's more than just, you know, the breaking news, the the newsreel, uh, things like that. It's, it's, you know, stating the fact, but it's also stating how we're uh, reacting to the fact. So, for example, um, uh, this will just be like a hypothetical example. So I'm at work and um, I was feeling really stressed and pressured uh, or I was being, I was, sorry, let me, let me back up. So I'm at work and there's an appointment that's supposed to take place, but then this other person comes in who says that Uh, they're supposed to be here at this time also, and my supervisor is saying that you have to see them. Okay, well, those are the facts. So how am I reacting to the facts? So I'm reacting to the facts by saying I feel really frustrated and, um, you know, pushed over and, like, my feelings aren't even being considered and, like, I'm just being taken for granted at work. So that's putting feeling behind the facts. So that's what we, we want to be doing with our spouse or, um, or our fiance or um, a long-term boyfriend or girlfriend um, or just even a really good friend if we're not married um, that we can process the day with. So in, in um, the article continues, in recent years, there are greater expectations of mar- marriage to foster authenticity, self-expression, fulfillment, romantic passion, and personal growth. It's a wonderful trend, but it's a tall order. At the same time, that expectation um, that expectation of marriage have been uh, taken a jump up. The support that would allow that lofty vision to manifest has diminished. Um, so in the all or nothing marriage, um, Eli Finkel reports 
a disturbing sociological trend. We are spending less time with family and friends. I'm going to pause right there. We are spending less time with family and friends. Finkel states that in 1975, Americans averaged two hours per weekend day alone with family or friends. In 2003, the time dropped to one and a half hours per weekend day. The drop in the amount of time um, a childless couple spends together in 1975 declined from 35 hours per week to 26 hours in 2003 due to more hours spent at work. The decline of hours spent together for couples with children fell from 13 to 9 hours a week due to the time spent in increased work responsibilities and intensive parenting. That's, that's a lot of time lost for that relationship connection, regardless of if it's romantic or it's just a friendship. That's time um, spent in other competing activities. And that's not to say that it's bad. I mean, it kind of is, but... I mean, yeah, you need a paycheck and yeah, you have your adult responsibilities, but I mean, that's just a lot of time lost. Um, the article goes on to say that at the same time, the expectations for fulfillment and growth in marriage are rising. The needed support from family, friends, and our partner is declining. We are all challenged to fight against the prevailing drift towards disconnection. To counter the trend sweeping us into work and parenting, it is necessary to be intentional, deliberate, and committed to taking regular time to connect to ourselves and our partner in a meaningful way. So only you and your 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 partner, your spouse, whatever, uh, know what that meaningful connection is. Like for some of y'all, that's you know going to a local diner that's your favorite and getting breakfast on a Saturday morning. For others, that's putting a puzzle together. For other, I mean, other couples, other friends, whatever it might just be playing games together, like video games together or whatever. But there needs to be some more of an intentional, deliberate and, and um, way of having that meaningful connection with um, the person you're in that relationship with. It is not, the article once again continues saying that it's not merely the time that successful couples spend together, but the depth of the connection that makes all the difference. They're spending time regularly having emotional intimacy. They are sharing with each other on a feeling level, speaking about things that truly matter to them. They are not just exchanging information information such as pass the salt or who's picking up the cleaning. They are relating in a personal way. One form of checking in is through touch. Many successful couples wouldn't think of letting a day go by without some sensual touching. In the late 1970s, Dr. Bill Masters Renowned sex researcher, sex therapist, and teacher of sex therapist advises trainees, tell your couples that 24 hours must not go by without some sensual touching. And that doesn't mean that you're getting ready to start foreplay or anything like that. It can just mean be like a very deep embracing hug or a kiss or something like that, um, especially if, if you're married. Um, that Those intentional ways of connecting and touching um, is very healthy and it's how you stay connected to one another. So um, this article will definitely make more sense as we as we go into um, the content for today. So that was the Channel 49 News. Um, like I said, that was from Psychology Today and um, I am going to share that um, to our 
Facebook group um, here in just a moment. There we go. It has been shared. Okay. So today's episode is going to be brought to you by um, a fairly new show that you might have heard about, um, especially if you watch Fox, uh, the, the Fox Network. You'll have probably seen some kind of trailer for it. Um, or if you've just been in conversation with me, you will definitely have heard of it. Um, it is um, the new uh, American sci- uh, sci-fi comedy drama called The Orville. Uh, it was created by, and it stars Seth MacFarlane, a family guy and American dad fame, um, as well as The Cleveland Show, I believe. Um, the series premiered um, September of 2017, and uh, McFarlane is uh, the main character, if you hadn't already figured out, um, named um, Ed Mercer. He's an officer in the Planetary Union um, line of exploratory vessels whose um, career took a downward turn uh, following his divorce and who is given the titularship as his first command, only to discover that his ex-wife, Kelly Grayson, uh, played by Adrian Palicki, has been assigned to be his first officer. Um, this show has been inspired by several different sources, um, of which being Star Trek and the Twilight Zone. Uh, the series tells the story of Mercer Grayson and the crew of the Orville as they uh, embark on various diplomatic and exploratory missions. Uh, now, there, there's been an entire season um, that's gone by, and currently it's... Um, uh, there's an airing of the second season that just started this, um, uh, like fairly recently. Uh, the first episode of season two aired uh, Sunday, December thirtieth, uh, with the first episode called Jaloja. And um, at the time of this recording, there ha- um, has been one other episode that's premiered called Primal Urges. And Primal Urges is the episode in question that we are going to um, examine, that we're going to kind of unpack and talk about just a little bit. So um, what I'll do is I'll give um, a brief synopsis of this one, um, of this particular episode, so you kind of have the idea of what's going on. And uh, what I will most likely do is that within the next few days to a week, I'll probably record a show notes episode um, giving a more detailed um, examination of this episode um, or a more detailed synopsis of this episode, not necessarily um, dive or anything. Because this this podcast about the reframe portion is looking at this stuff. So anyway, uh, synopsis time of Primal Urges, which is season two, episode two of the Orville. So the crew of the Orville watch as the planet Nixia is consumed by an exploding red star. Bordas av- avoids his mate Clyden, seeking solace in pornographic simulator programs. Seeking to divorce Bordas via Mocklin custom, Clyden stabs him. To avoid prosecution, Bordas and Clyden agree to undergo marriage counseling with Dr. Finn. Bordas confides that he resents Clyden for changing their child, Topa's sex, without his consent. Later, the Orville takes part in a rescue operation to evacuate the inhabitants of Nixia before their world is destroyed. The efforts are hampered by a computer virus caused by one of Bordas's porn programs. 
Bordas and Isaac lead the evacuation and manage to evacuate 30 individuals before the planet's core breaks up. However, the computer virus takes control of the ship's helm and the Orville is sucked into the supernova. Isaac manages to neutralize the virus and the Orville escapes with the surviving Nixians. While Captain Mercer is furious with Bordas for his poor judgment regarding the porn simulator, he gives him a second chance due to his role in saving the Nixians. Bordas and Clyden agree to work out their differences and spend more time together. Now, there's a lot of history when it comes to this. Um, and like I said, this is Season 2, Episode 2 of The Orville. So I would highly encourage you that if you are in any way a Star Trek fan or anything like that, to check it out. Because um, this, I, would, I wouldn't even consider this a parody um, this is like, um, maybe, maybe a type of spiritual successor to Star Trek. Um, I know there's a lot of division in the Star Trek fandom about whether or not Star Trek Discovery is true Star Trek, um, um, or if it's something else. And uh, there are frustrations when it comes to um, watching Star Trek Discovery as um, like a, a dyed-in-the-wool uh, Star Trek fan. Now, I came to Star Trek um, in college, so um, right around 2000... I graduated high school in 2005, so it was right around 2004, 5, and 6 that I started watching um, Star Trek The Next Generation on Spike TV. There was like four or five hours straight of Star Trek Next Generation on Spike. So I'd get home from like school, like high school and college classes, and I would watch it um, before and after doing homework um, and studying and things like that. And I just fell in love with it. And one of my Boy Scout friends um, that we I camped together a lot with, Eric Christofferson, he... Um, he let me borrow some of the other Trek that I hadn't seen. So we're talking um, Voyager, Enterprise. Um, I tried watching Deep Space Nine at the time. Couldn't stand it. But before you crucify me, I am watching it right now. And it is fantastic. It is great. If you can get past the first two seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you are in for a wild ride. It is um much more deep, much more character-driven than um, other versions of Star Trek. It's not bad Trek. It's just different Trek, and I really enjoy it. Um, and I've been to Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas uh, before it was uh, shut down, and that brought a tear to my eye when I found out that that place was gone. I got to go on a behind-the-scenes tour of um, Star Trek The Experience. I absolutely adored it and loved it, and I miss it. I wish that it would come back somewhere um i'm getting a little misty i thinking about it um but anyway um star trek has this this idea of a um, bright hopeful um optimistic outlook on the future basically where the worst of humanity um has gone away like the greed and the corruption of sorts has gone away and now it's just the best of humanity and the best of humanity is combating basically different alien species to make the universe better. And um, Discovery, it's a very gritty or much more grittier take on Star Trek. I think that might be a good way of saying it. Um, and some of the decisions 
that they make in it at times, I'm not going to say they completely do, but at times seem to uh, rewrite and throw away bits of canon. Um, I will say that just like with Doctor Who and other fandom, Doctor Who, Star Wars, whatever, everyone has like their show or their character, their doctor, whatever it might be that they relate to and that they connect with. So for anyone that knows me, knows that hands down, my favorite doctor is the 10th doctor to the point where I've obsessed over him. I cosplay as him. My favorite Star Trek is definitely the next generation. Um, It's the one that basically welcomed me into the Star Trek fandom. And the thing that we have to remember when it comes to fandoms is that, you know, that might be yours. Okay, so for me, Star Trek The Next Generation is my Star Trek. The Tenth Doctor is my Doctor. But for people that are watching now, um, like with Doctor Who, the Eleventh Doctor, the Twelfth Doctor, even the Thirteenth Doctor, that might be that person's Doctor. And I don't have to like that particular iteration of the Doctor. Or I don't have to particularly like that iteration, whatever it might be. But that is that person's. So we need to at least respect it even if we don't like it. And that's the thing. Um, it seems like society has just gotten so gotten so backwards with stuff that we can't even respect differences anymore. And one thing that I like about the Orville is that it doesn't have the frat boy humor that you might normally experience with um, like Family Guy, Cleveland Show, American Dad, things like that. Uh, there's very little little comedy, and when the there is comedy, it's not really Seth MacFarlane that's doing it. It's some of the other characters. Um, it's it's being um, uh, led by a couple different Star Trek alum, like Brandon Braga for one, um, who's doing some stuff with with it. Jonathan Frakes um, has directed um, a couple episodes of the Orville, so um, it's great, and it's it's an homage to 1990s Star Trek. So 1990s Star Trek is going to be more like your next generation, your Deep Space Nine, and your Voyager. So if you like any of those shows, um, and you can get past the first handful of episodes of season one of The Orville, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So that's been a very long diatribe about uh, The Orville. Now, uh, let me just break down just a few things um, and of course, I'm going to encourage you to watch this stuff so this stuff will make a little bit more sense. But, you know, in that brief recap, um, it talks about a character named Bordas and um, his mate Clyden. So um, they are part of an alien race that is all male. Um, so there are no females. If there are any females, it's actually considered um, like an anomaly of sorts. And... Something that happened in season one, without spoiling too much stuff, I guess I kind of already spoiled it, but there's an episode where um, they have a child that is hatched, and um, it's the first female um, Mocklin in a very long time, and it's this long discussion of, like, should we, shouldn't we um, create this, or, or... change this deviation, fix this anomaly by making our child male like the rest of us. Um, so that's where that's where this episode kind of picks up is um, wrestling with that conflict that 
uh, Bordas and uh, his mate Clyden are um, having to wrestle with and deal with. And um, Bordas did not want this change to happen. So you have your mate that you love and care about, and they haven't really talked. They haven't checked in with each other on how one another's doing. They're just kind of on autopilot and coasting and, you know, doing that sort of thing. Um, so that goes back to, you know, what we were talking about in the Channel 49 News of making the time to check in and to connect with each other. Um, uh, as you guys know from listening to a former episode, uh, my wife and I, we have the most amazing daughter in the whole entire universe. And, um, you know, we take the time to sit down at the dinner table um, and talk about our day. And I don't claim to know or understand everything that my wife is going through, like with her work, uh, when it comes to like all the acronyms and, you know, who this, that, and the other person are with where she works. But, you know, I know she's frustrated with certain things and I know she's pleased with other things. And she knows that she can be real with me about the good, the bad, and the indifferent when it comes to work or any other type of situation that's going on. And, you know, at the same time, I know that whenever I talk about my dreams and my hopes and my frustrations about the mental health profession and, you know, what I do currently, what I want to do in the future, I know that she doesn't understand every little nook and cranny um, about that stuff. That's okay. You know, but she hears me. I, I feel felt by her. And I think that's what's important. So, you know, as long as we're, as long as we feel felt and we take the time to check in, I think that can help with, um, you know, keeping those, those bigger issues at bay, so to speak. Um, yeah. But the problem with this particular episode, um, again, called Primal Urges, Season 2, Episode 2 of The Orville, is that Bordas, um, who's third in command of the ship, by the way, so he has a significant leadership position, um, he is going inward and trying to um, get a release, trying to have that um, the intimacy elsewhere, that connection elsewhere, um, because he doesn't want to connect at this point with his mate because he feels, um, betrayed. Um, he feels unheard. Um, and I think th those are, that's a bad combination of, of you know, betray, betrayal and not, um, you know, being heard or felt, things like that. But unknowingly he's, or maybe even knowingly, I don't know, but it, it seems unknowingly he doesn't realize what he's doing to his mate by engaging in um, pornography, basically. Um, um and that this is one thing that I really like about 
the show is that despite um, like this dramatic comedy, sci-fi dramatic comedy, something or another, it does a really good job of tackling serious and relevant issues. Um, you know, pornography in the holodeck is probably something that wouldn't be outright discussed in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, now, holographic addiction was something that was covered in um, at least one or two episodes of um, The Next Generation with a character named um, Reginald Barkley. Um, those were always um, funny but also serious um, episodes to watch. But I digress. Um, there are multiple simulations. You don't see outright sex, so let me be clear about that. Um, but you have a character that is trying to have a need met apart from someone that is supposed to be safe. Someone that you're supposed to be intimate and be able to share your deepest feelings with. And that's the thing. Like whenever, uh, you know, people that I've worked with in the past, they've had these these major hurts um, from family, they, um, friends, um, and even partners. I, I can distinctly remember that early on when I was counseling, um, there was a one of my very first couples that I, I had worked with. They were set to get married. Uh, I think it was like three days prior to... Um, the session that we had had and they had broke it off because there was some kind of affair that took place. So, uh, you know, that's the thing, like that's why, why check-ins are so important. Um, and just having that connection with them. So, you know, it might seem difficult and impossible right now, but on my planner, um, I have like four, five different columns that I use um, I use a thing called a planner pad. I don't get paid for this advertisement. All this is not an advertisement, but I don't get paid for this plug. But I've been using this thing called a planner pad for, gosh, uh, seven, eight years now. And it's phenomenal. It's at plannerpad.com, uh, I think. And what it does, it's like this funnel system. So you create the categories that you want. Um, so for me, um, and what... I do to prioritize things. I have, like I said, these four or five different columns. So one is spiritual. Then I have family, professional, personal, and then I have uh, a Regent University one for like, you know, my school stuff that I have to take care of. And I write down things like, especially in the family column, I write, you know, QT with um, Michelle, QT with Elena, my daughter. So QT is supposed to mean quality time. And I put that down on, um, on my planner. I also make sure that apart from like having the quality time with my wife and my daughter, that I, I plan out the things that are important to me that I need to get accomplished, that I want to get accomplished. So, you know, make sure you have your work stuff in there. Of course I do. I have all my appointments week to week, put in there for who I'm going to see, what type of appointment it's going to be. and um, But I also prioritize the things that are fun, the things that are meaningful to me in my life. And 
you know, it's stuff like, um, you know, like for my wife and I, we, we really enjoy watching shows like America's Got Talent or Dancing with the Stars together. You know, we, we enjoy watching that. So I make a point of putting that on there, you know, like AGT with my wife or DWTS with my wife. Um, other stuff like, you know, date with my wife or, you know, whatever it might be, um, quality time with my daughter. Um, you know, the stuff that's important needs to be prioritized and it's all too easy for us to, um, retreat into ourself. And, um, there's enough retreating that's going on, um, you know, around us for, um, for us to really do any more of it. And, um, so this, this just came to mind. So this is kind of impromptu. Um, but I was just, as I was just said, retreat, um, it came to mind, um, to just look it up real quick and retreat. When you look at it, um, as a verb, um, it says in parentheses of an army means withdraw from enemy forces as a result of this, of their superior power or after a defeat. Withdraw from enemy forces as a result of their superior power or after a defeat. That's what retreat says. Though the meaning of retreat is. So when we retreat, we're acknowledging that there is some other superior power that is preventing us from accomplishing something or that there's been a defeat. And when it comes to an argument with your spouse, if, if it's about, I've said this before and I'll, I'll continue saying it, that if it is so important for you to win an argument, um, then that means that one of you is the winner and the other person is the loser. So congratulations, winner, you're married to a loser. And if that's the attitude you have, you really need to re-examine that and re and um, take a deep look at your priorities and how you view your relationship and how that is affecting your relationship. Now, um, that was, it was kind of, um, I guess a little bit of a, a sidetrack, maybe a, a little derailing of sorts, but you know, pornography, um, gambling, um, those kinds of addiction um, are, are what we consider more behavioral addictions of sorts. Um, so, you know, addiction, it's, it's when you're, you're doing something um, and it becomes, you need increasing, uh, increasingly more amounts of something for one, um, and it becomes um, much more difficult to um, to stop, to quit, um, things like that. So, um, so whenever you're dealing with, um, like, let's say, porn addiction, for example, 
um, some warning signs of um, and or symptoms of a porn addiction might include, you know, being unable to stop using porn to stop or to stop engaging in um, behaviors associated with porn despite repeated attempts to do do so. There's roughly approximately 9% of viewers reported that they had made successful, unsuccessful attempts to stop. So um, also experiencing cravings to view porn, much like substance users report feeling strong urges to use drugs, porn addicts can experience strong urges to view porn. Now, the viewing of porn isn't necessarily the only um, way of um, ingesting pornographic material. So it might be more videos and stuff like that for some people, but it might also be more like erotic material, like the written word um, for other people. So um, it's not just websites and pictures that um, are connected to these strong urges of pornography. It's also the written word like stories, like erotic stories. Um, You know, continuing along, uh, more people um, might be becoming angry, hostile, or irritable when asked to stop using porn. Porn addicts may deny their porn viewing or be upset when loved ones request that they stop. So whether you're um, like a family member that might be using it um, and another family member finds out that you're using it and you've been steeped in it for a very long time, um, you know, the, the ang- being angry and having some hostility could be something that's part of it. You know, uh, your brain um, has the capability of its structure being changed. Um, it's what we call neuroplasticity. Uh, neuro meaning brain, plasticity meaning plastic or ability to change. Um, your, the physical structure of your brain can change um, whenever there's a substance or some kind of behavior that can um, more or less affect the brain chemistry and, and change the structure and the shape of it. Now, if it can be changed one way, it can all, that means that there's also a hope of it being changed back another way. And that takes deliberate intention and um, for something like that to really be possible. Um, other aspects of pornographic addiction, um, you know, it's, it's continuing to view, view porn or experience porn, um, having broken relationships or job loss, um, like as, as like a negative consequence of viewing it or, or engaging in it. Um, relationships where one partner is addicted to porn can lead to a reduction in intimacy, emotional distance, reduced sa- uh, sexual satisfaction, and an overall poor quality of relationship. Being unable to abstain from porn during work hours can lead to disciplinary action or even job loss. Um, you know, there there are employers that you know monitor you know website traffic and, and where people are going uh, while at work, and it doesn't matter how much finagling you might know how to do, um, they can still find out and it can cause some major issues. Um, and this, I think, this point, you know, continuing to view porn. Despite negative consequences such as broken relationships or job loss, and then it goes on to say, you know, the relationships where one partner is addicted to porn can lead to a reduction in intimacy, emotional distance, and reduced sexual satisfaction. And we find that in the episode of the Orville. You know, we we find that Clyden is wanting to have um, you know sexual intimacy with his partner, and 
Um, Bordas is like, I don't want to do it. And part of the reason is because he's getting his fix. He has nothing to give because he's getting his fix from a holographic fantasy in a porn program. So if, if you're constantly engaging in viewing either video or pictures of stuff, um, and you know, you're trying to, you know, sexually relieve yourself, you're not going to have anything to give to your partner. And it's in that sort of thing, that sexual intimacy is meant for you and your spouse, you know, the person that you're with. And, you know, it's my, it's my belief, my contention that, you know, sex, sex is something that should be limited to just marriage. Now, if you're doing it right now and you're not married, this isn't me um, calling you a bad or horrible person. It's just my belief that it should be limited to marriage because of what can come of it. Children deserve to be in a stable household with a mother and a father. And we are having more and more children out of what we used to call wedlock. And it's causing problems um, socially speaking and academically. And there needs to be the stability of a mother and a father. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And we're not going to split hairs over adoptions like that. I just believe there, there should be a mother and a father in the household raising a child and leaving it at that. So there we go. Um, there's, there's more to it than that. Um, I'm, in fact, there's a, a website right now. It's called uh, projectno.com um, slash research slash porn addiction. Um, and it goes on to say this, that mental professional, mental health professionals are limited to their, in their ability to diagnose someone as conclusively porn addicted because this behavior is not formally recognized as a disorder. Although there is a fine line between the two, some um, mental health professionals feel that porn is a compulsion rather than an addiction. Still, support for the existence of porn addiction has gained support from recent research studies. Porn addiction shares many of the same characteristics as a substance use disorder. One of the important criteria in defining an addiction is the development of tolerance to the addictive substance. Over time, a porn addict may require more frequently and increasingly explicit porn to experience the same higher excitement as he or she originally did. Compulsive viewing of pornography can lead to the cycle of addiction, which involves a craving stage where the individual is preoccupied or anticipating the viewing of porn. So this is followed by actively viewing porn and then experiencing a negative emotional state where the individual be, can become irritable or hostile. Because of these similarities, treatment centers often um, view porn as an addiction when planning rehab and recovery programs. Research doc, uh, demonstrates that addiction to porn is a function of, the, of brain changes which affects the same areas of the brain as substance abuse. So, what's the point? Um, first off, if you are experiencing, um, and you know that you're experiencing um, some sort of dependence on pornography, erotic material, um, and you feel like it's out of control, um, nothing is too late okay um all hope is not gone is not lost um 
there are going to be some changes that you will have to make if you want to overcome it. And it's going to have to be some very serious, um, honest, and at times uncomfortable changes that you are going to have to make for this to um, to have a, a new positive, a renewed positive impact on your life. And there are counselors out there that are willing to help. There are mental health professionals out there that are willing to help um, go on this journey with you and help you um, have a, a better, happier life. And if you're married, this is something that um, you're going to have to be honest with your spouse about. And there's going to probably be some hurt. But, you know, the thing that I, I share with people in session is that when it comes to, to counseling in general, I always say things are going to get worse before they get better. And it's because you're actually looking at the hurt. You're looking at the pain that's going on. And you're finally doing something about it. And don't be afraid of it. Um, own it. That's the thing. We don't own our stuff anymore. Own this. Um, you know, I'm in the the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to work with anyone that wants to work. So porn addiction aside, um, I mean, if you, if you are looking for a counselor, you know, and you're willing to work and put in the work, I'm willing to work with you. So, um, you know, send me a note here or go to my website and, you know, let's, let's talk. Um, if you're not in the area, um, I have some friends in different states that are great counselors, great mental health professionals that I'd love the opportunity to connect you with and, you know, see where it goes. I, I, I want nothing but the best for you and by extension, your family and your future family. Um, their uh, accountability is another thing that's really important, especially with men. Um, that's not to say that women can't benefit from accountability, but it just seems as if um, men um, need it more. Uh, men uh, like can, um, generally speaking, isolate themselves more than men or more than women. I'm sorry, and um, that's not to say that women don't. But buddy, partner, that guy that you can be real and raw with um, about these struggles, about the pains um, that are going on. Um, I think that if you're going, if you're a man, you need another man um, to um, be real with. Because if you are confiding in another woman, that's just inviting disaster, especially if you're married. I don't care how close you are as friends. Don't do it. You need another man. And women... If you want an accountability partner, you need another woman. We don't need anyone to do any type of usurping, home wrecking, any of that kind of stuff. It, it's just not a good mix if you're married to go the opposite sex apart from your own spouse. But even then, you need to have one. I have one. Um, I, I mean, I consider him a mentor. Um, I can talk to him basically about anything day or night, 24-7, 365 days a year. And if you don't have a mentor, and I've said this before in these episodes, you need a mentor. Mentors, you know, it can be someone that is similar in age, maybe a little older, maybe vastly older than you. 
Um, and sometimes it develops naturally. Sometimes it's very intentional and you have to invite them to be your mentor. But you need a mentor. Someone that you can call in the 11th hour when your world is falling apart and all hell is broken loose. Like I'm talking Armageddon type let loose. You need someone. But besides God Almighty that you can you can talk to and reach out to. I'm not saying that's me by any means. I mean, I have to know you if I'm going to mentor you, for one. But it doesn't mean that it's me. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, the guy you went to school with. with but you need someone. Um, apart from that, there is um, an app, a program of sorts called Covenant Eyes that has been used with um, pornographic addiction that um, I would recommend. Um, and you need to give that to someone that can, that you trust, that you're going to hold, have them hold you accountable. So whether that's, you know, a guy friend at work or church or, you know, the lion's club, (laughs) um, you, you need someone for that. And there are, there are different ways to go about getting on the road to recovery with this. But, you know, if, if porn is something that you're struggling with, don't don't let another day go by to where you think you have to always suffer that you're never going to get out of this because you have it within yourself and you have the people around you that want to help you that want to help you get past this you know i um i've shared this with folks before that um um you know light itself has a measurable speed and you know, the thing that we don't really think about, and this is more of a perspective change, is that the speed in which light enters is the same speed in which darkness flees. So we need to bring things out into the light, which is exactly what ended up happening to Bordas's detriment. The whole ship was affected because of basically a porn virus. And he was forced to deal with it. Because he was found out. Because the ship basically almost, you know, was destroyed. And everyone on it. So don't think that the ship has to crash into, you know, a sun-going supernova before you deal with it. And I'm sorry if this tone sounds harsh. It's not meant to. Um, But this is a very serious thing as well. So... Um, that's really it for that. Um, there's probably more I could talk about this and and maybe we'll revisit this, um, some other time, maybe with like a supplement to this, or I'll do like a video chat, um, on chat or the Facebook group where y'all can ask questions about this show or any past shows like it. Um, I'm so glad that I have you guys to listen to this stuff, um, like I said before, if you like Star Trek, I think you're really going to like the Orville. Um, give it a shot. Um, I think it's on um, Hulu um, presently at the time of this recording. Um, if not, I think it's on like the Fox Now or Fox On Demand, whatever the special Fox paywall app thing is called. I don't know. But i um, pretty sure it's there. Um, on Demand with most um, cable providers, I think. So check it out and, um, you know, let me know what you think. 
And as, um, you know, as I've said before, um, if you, you know, you, you have any questions or you want to get in contact with the show or you want to learn more about, you know, getting into counseling either with myself or with someone, um, that I might know in different States. Like I said, I know a um, handful of people in across the country that I might be able to connect you with, uh, depending on the city, of course. Um, you know, um, just let me know at uh, reframepod at gmail.com. And, um, you know, you can always go to my website, you know, send me a note that way. Um, you can listen to the podcast there also, chasemckinney.com. And, um, you know, learn more about me and things like that. And um, anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen today. Um, like I just finished saying, if you uh, want to connect, you want to send your story about, um, you know, any type of mental health triumphs that you've had or just your reactions to the show, whether it's positive or negative, I prefer positive, but I'll take what I can get. Um, you know, send, send a note at, you know, reframepod at gmail.com. You can also connect on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, um, you know, follow us, make sure to um, check it out. And we're also um, posting these episodes on YouTube. So make sure that on YouTube that you like, subscribe, and that you also ring the bell so that you'll get a notification whenever a video is up. Um, in the future, I might be doing some uh, live chatting. I might do a um, like an ask the therapist or something like that, or an ask the host type of thing here in a few weeks, um, or a month, I don't know, fairly soon. That's one thing I want to start this year in 2019 is like an ask the therapist, ask the counselor, ask the host, whatever we're going to call it at that point, just as a way of connecting with you guys a little more. So, um, anyways, uh, make sure to join our group. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. I know I've already said that before, but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for your dedication to the show. Um, and remember always to take care and stay dapper. Bye-bye. We have figured out a way to manipulate the speed of events. So... It's an anti-banana ray. It's really interesting. We need no longer fear the banana. Does it work on all fruit? What about salads?